as the crow flies on the Vance Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. So I'm going to continue on with my coronavirus series where I'm interviewing people from around the world that have different perspectives on what is going on with the coronavirus, how it impacts their industry, how they're feeling about it, and uh, kind of just the way it's changing the world around us all. I'm going to head out to an interview with a man named John Boltz, who is a lettuce farmer from Yuma, Arizona. John is one of the most highly respected farmers in certainly in Arizona, but maybe in all of uh, uh, U.S. agriculture. He is a beloved um, mentor and friend, and I'm really glad that we had a chance to sit down and talk. I put this on the fast track. Uh, in fact, the whole reason that I started doing this series was because I saw John talking on Twitter about some of the challenges he saw with um, coronavirus shutting down embassies and making it impossible for certain people to be able to apply to come over to the United States to work as migrant workers in the fields. So I'm going to let John talk all about that. This is a great interview. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're staying safe. And let me know if there's somebody that you think I should have a conversation with that will give us a more robust view on how coronavirus is shaping the world around us. John Boltz, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Vance. Good to see you today, sir. You are in the strangest location of any guest I've ever had on the podcast. What is behind you? Well, behind us here today, we've got an iceberg lettuce harvest happening as we speak. Uh, they started here about an hour and a half ago, uh, packing 24-count boxes that you would see um, coming in the back of restaurants or uh, supermarkets uh all over the U.S. and Canada. So tell the listeners what your background is. What is it that you do? Why, why are you standing in front of a lettuce field right now? So uh, these are my crops. Uh, we work with uh, five different uh, West Coast produce shippers that ship uh, uh, fresh produce all over the U.S. and Canada. It's, um, it's a lot of work to make sure we have it all ready to harvest each day when they ask for it to be ready to harvest. That's a several month process uh, uh, that we work with our shipper partners on. And uh, and they literally do, they want to be harvesting every day and we try to make sure that we plan uh, six, uh, nine, six, three months in advance. We're working on various different steps and then the last two to three months is growing the crop uh, to produce it. So that's my day job. Um, and then I volunteer with Arizona Farm Bureau, doing advocacy work uh, with Arizona and American Farm Bureau. And uh, I guess that's how we've gotten to know each other. But uh, yeah, my day job is farming lettuce and other vegetables and other crops when we're done with the vegetable crop, like fresh melons and other things uh, we're growing all year here in, in New Arizona. So we've known each other for years, but it would not have been for the pandemic of coronavirus that's going on right now that got us talking I saw you on Twitter talking about labor issues, and I wanted to give you a chance to explain to people all over the country, really all over the world, what is going on with labor in light of coronavirus and, and where you're at. Maybe a good place to start is where are you and how do you get your labor right now? So most of the folks that work with us, uh, not exclusively, but most of the folks, the vast majority, are first or uh, second generation immigrants into the United States. Uh, most of them come with a background in agriculture of some kind, most of them from Mexico. And uh, they're tractor drivers, irrigators, and of course the harvesters 
uh, like you see uh, using knives in the background behind us and uh, uh, packaging and, and uh, getting the lettuce ready to move uh, to the coolers. And uh, uh, most of the people in, uh, in, in my segment of the industry are, um, you know, uh, temporary guest workers, first or second generation immigrants from Mexico. And uh, we're really blessed to have a wonderful labor supply. We're not completely unique in that uh, across the United States. Uh, a lot of agriculture has been blessed with uh, these temporary guest workers or first and second generation immigrants coming into the country and doing invaluable work uh, that we just simply couldn't put the uh, beverages or, uh, or food on people's table without, without them. They're essential to our businesses. Uh, it's been a long road uh, over the last 30 years, uh, 20 to 30 years, we've been advocating for Congress to dramatically change uh, how we let folks come into this country uh, to immigrate into the country and to work in this country, uh, to change both labor and immigration laws to drastically improve our uh, labor situation, particularly in agriculture. Uh, we haven't made hardly any progress uh, with that. And uh, so we have a fairly broken system. And uh, that's what kind of got us talking uh, yesterday about that very topic and how coronavirus is impacting our fragile and poorly designed uh, uh, labor system for agriculture. So tell us about that. Coronavirus starts becoming part of the news. When does it start impacting lettuce harvest for you? Well, as you might imagine, if you have a really bad system, uh, then you throw uncertainty, uh, human disease, things like that into the system. Uh, it worries you immediately. We have such a fragile system. Uh, let me describe that. Let's talk right here in my local community. We have about 50,000 people working in production agriculture, um, helping produce the various crops that we farm here in this, uh, this community, uh, which impacts the entire U.S. and Canada with fresh vegetables, seed crops, uh, lots of different things, forage crops, um, all kinds of different stuff. But uh, a lot of the things that we grow, like you see happening behind me, they're hand harvested, they're hand tended. Uh, we don't have big harvest equipment to harvest, you know, fresh lettuce. Uh, we've been working on mechanizing, but we're a long ways from that. Uh, consumer expectations are uh, that the product look uh, and, uh, and be perfect in every way. And there's really only one way you get there, and that's hand-selected, hand-harvested for the most part. Yeah, I mean, so, I don't think most people realize that, that the way you harvest this is with rows of lettuce and somebody bent over getting every single one of them uh, cut and then put into a bag and then placed in there. It is really difficult work. Absolutely. I'm, I'm much slower, and actually where I'm and myself and the camera are this morning, uh, we've got – you know, lettuce right here. So those folks cut that lettuce right off, uh, right off the ground, trim the wrapper leaves off, wrap that head up like that, and put it into uh, into a carton. Uh, and then the cartons are palletized, and it leaves uh, the machine that those folks are working uh, alongside of. It, the machine is just a way to transport the pallets and boxes in and out of the field. But uh, to get this lettuce to you, it takes hand uh, tending and hand care. So we have about 50,000 people working here in this community in agriculture. Um, about uh, 15 to 20,000 of those folks travel in and out of our community every winter uh, to come in for the harvest as it commences in earnest in November and then concludes in uh, the first uh, week in April or the last week in March. And uh, it's, it's extremely uh, labor-intensive work that is done at harvest time. 
uh, cauliflower fields uh, that are, you know, just a stone's throw from here have uh, leaves that are growing all the way up above people's waists. Uh, they're harvesting those cauliflower heads right out of amongst those uh, cauliflower leaves. Lettuce a little bit easier, but like you say, you have to bend over, not quite as wet of conditions, but certainly laborious and intense. And uh, we just simply couldn't do the work we do. We couldn't get the product on people's uh, plates without those workers. So we have those folks traveling back and forth from Salinas to Yuma uh, seasonally. They'll spend uh, seven, eight months of the year in Salinas and then uh, four to five months of the year down here in Yuma. Uh, but then we also have about 15,000 folks that cross the border every morning in San Luis, uh, Mexico. 15,000, you said? Yeah, 15,000 cross the border starting about 3 in the morning till about 5.30 in the morning. And then all those folks uh, take a bus ride uh, out to the field. The whole crew will load up on a bus, come to the field. This field behind me has four crews uh, here working today. Each crew is about 20 to 30 people. And uh, they're going to man that harvest equipment, swing knives and box and cartonize that lettuce, palletize the cartons, send it on down the line. But uh yeah, to get all those folks here and get them doing the job. There are folks that want to do these jobs. We just simply don't have a legal mechanism uh, that really works well for industry or the employees. Uh, we're stuck with an antiquated system that was designed in the mid-80s, uh, ultimately designed not to work, uh, called the H-2A program. Uh, we've been struggling to work our way through that. That's the only program we have available. What do you and mean we're it was... Lucky. Not all segments of ag have that. What do, you, what do you mean it was designed not to work? In 1980, uh, one of the deals that was cut in the, in the mid-1980s, one of the deals that was cut in Congress um, was to design a program that would be uh, very finite, uh, very kind of difficult to work with. It would guarantee a lot of things that the workers don't always use, like guarantee housing and different things. Um, and it was kind of designed by labor unions to make sure that the... Um, uh, the folks that were participating in it weren't going to compete with any domestic jobs. And the reason that deal was cut and the way the program was fashioned was because organized labor felt like they were giving up a lot with the amnesty that went uh, was passed by Congress in, in the mid-1980s that allowed uh, existing workforce to, uh, to seek amnesty and become legal. Uh, we're at that point again in this country where we have uh, millions and millions, uh, some folks estimate, 9, 10, 11 million. Uh, I would estimate the numbers probably double that if you take into account agriculture, hospitality, construction, and everything. Um, but here along the border, uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, Border Patrol folks that work here. They're part of our community. They're our neighbors and friends. Uh, we're in the land of high enforcement here. Uh, all of our labor force is legal. And uh, that's really the way all of agriculture across the country wants their labor supply to be. Uh, but right now we're dealing with this difficult antiquated program called H2A as a stopgap, and it's a, it's not the best Band-Aid in the world, if you know what I mean, to fix a broken system. And why is coronavirus making this worse? I mean, you had mentioned that it was uncertainty, but are you concerned about the border being closed, or what, what do you think is going to happen as we go forward? Well, there's two different issues that are of a concern to me. H2A workers don't typically cross the border. Uh, every day, they're provided housing. Most of them live here in our community. Uh, old converted hotels, different things like that, uh, that, have, uh, that are their housing. And uh, employers have bought that housing up. They provide that for them. A lot of it goes empty because people will want to live in other places or whatever, but that's kind of beside the point. The reason coronavirus becomes an issue is 
not so much for the worker that we have today that's uh, participating in the H-2A program, uh, but it's really for future H-2A uh, workers that we're going to need here in a couple months, not just in the lettuce fields of Yuma or uh, Yuma, Arizona or Salinas, California, but literally all over the country. Uh, whether you have a Christmas tree farm in North Carolina, a uh, tree, uh, tree and fruit nut uh, type of person, that uh, farmer that's harvesting uh, tree and fruit, uh, uh, tree fruit and nut crops in Michigan, or, uh, or apple and cherry folks in Washington, really anything across our fruited land, if you're domestically producing a crop that's high labor intensive and you're working with the H-2A program, you need those folks to come. And the way the H-2A program works is you have to work with five different federal bureaucracies. Uh, and one of those is the State Department. And through the State Department consulates uh, in other countries, foreign countries like Mexico, uh, they uh, work with those other agencies, uh, private business, uh, private farmers and, and packers work with, uh, work with all those different agencies. But that State Department location, the consulates and uh, the embassies there in Mexico that's where that labor force comes and applies and works out the details of coming to work in our country. And those are being shuttered right now. Uh, that's a big concern for us over the long term for all of American agriculture uh, for, for this year and, and, and really every year. It's a big problem, but particularly right now with the threat of coronavirus, State Department is shutting down facilities and we're trying to figure out how to make that work. And it's a big, big problem, Vance. Uh, and then of course, our daily workers that aren't part of the uh, commuter workers, as we call them, that come across the border daily, have a legal right to work. Some of them are citizens, some of them are not. Uh, they have, a, But all of them have a legal status to work in this country. Uh, those folks would come across our border daily, and um, they've shortened the hours at different times at the port of entry. Uh, that can be problematic for getting folks to work. And there has been some discussion about potentially closing the border uh, with Mexico, whether the Mexican government or the American government chooses to do that, uh, much like we have going on right now in Canada. Do you think that's an actual possibility, John? I, I think it is. Uh, Mexico, I heard on the news today, was uh, finding their first uh, confirmed cases of coronavirus. You know, none of us really knows how this is going to impact uh, our country, uh, but I think we're all preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. Uh, and hoping for the best, we've always needed a guest worker program that suited agriculture's needs. Uh, this highlights it more than ever. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I do think it's a possibility. I do know that there are folks like uh, American Farm Bureau and other trade organizations working uh, on this today to make sure that, uh, that American farmers and, and ranchers and folks have the labor that they need to do the jobs that they need to do uh, to, to continue maintaining uh, adequate throughput in our uh, our food supply chain uh, but it, it is a critical thing and uh, and I know folks are working on it not just in private sector but but in government as well and I'm hoping they find a resolution to that soon I gotta tell you John like uh, seeing your tweets about the the idea that we may not be able to get workers across the border is probably the most frightening thing that I've seen out of all of this coronavirus because I think I'm pretty well aware if if you don't have those workers there on the day they're there to harvest, you know, maybe you have another 24, 48 hours, but you start falling behind and, and food rots in the fields and, and we aren't filling up the grocery stores in the way that we need to. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. An iceberg lettuce field 
for instance, this one that we're, uh, these two that we're standing here amongst today, they have about a four day harvest window to have optimal yield and quality. A couple days before and after that uh, will work, uh, but you get much beyond that and it just doesn't work. And we literally, you know, we're producing for the consumer that's gonna be consuming every day, uh, going to the supermarket, going to restaurants, that sort of thing. Obviously, we're not all going to restaurants today, but we hope we can get the details of that worked out so restaurants can stay in business, institutions can get back to functioning. But ultimately, regardless of where people are at, uh, they should be eating uh, fresh, healthy uh, uh, vegetables as part of their uh, well-rounded diet. And uh, they have a very, uh, they're very perishable, and they have a very short window where you're going to have a, a be within the economic threshold of making it work for a farmer to produce it, a shipper, a marketeer to put it into the marketplace, and a consumer be able to afford it. So having timely harvest is essential. And uh, I think we take for granted in our country, um, you know, immigrants, the role they play. Uh, I hope that people will hear this message and, uh, and maybe think, you know, consciously about their viewpoints about it. But uh, there are many jobs in this country that get done almost exclusively by immigrants and uh, they're some of the hardest working salt of the earth people um, just like the rest of us that work in agriculture. And we're thrilled to have them here working with us. They do essential jobs uh, for our food supply. So John, this is kind of a tough uh, question to even ask, but I have already heard several people since I started talking about this with the lettuce, bringing this up. They say, hey, there are a lot of Americans that are out of work right now. Their 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 hotels are being shuttered. That they're working in their restaurants. Why don't we just have them go go do this? What is the what, what's your perspective on just taking the workforce that's just been knocked out and putting them to work in the fields right now? You know, Vance, that's that's a great point, and I imagine some point, uh, some folks that maybe hadn't considered a job in agriculture um, may very well do that. Historically, though, even through crises times, like after 9-11, when employment opportunities contracted and folks were out of work, we didn't see that happen at all. Uh, typically, folks will hang around for quite a while in the marketplace waiting for a job that they think uh, suits them and their lifestyle. Uh, folks behind me are making, uh, you know, between 12 and $25 an hour, depending on uh, how they're paid. Some are paid piece rate, so it's how quickly uh, they and efficiently they work. And those folks make a very good living uh, doing this. It's laborious, no doubt, uh, but it is a good job. And the camaraderie around the people in agriculture is second to none, as, as you've found out being around a lot of people in agriculture. So, uh, you know, it's not always beautiful every day out under the sun. Uh, some days are cold, some days are windy. Uh, but most of the people that do these jobs, they love the work that they do. And uh, they love working in agriculture and they appreciate the opportunity. And we certainly couldn't do what we do without them. So. While some domestic uh, employees, uh, workers may consider making a job change to agriculture, it seems very unlikely given our history that that might, might really come to fruition. So I think uh, in the last 40, 50 years, we've seen that, uh, you know, it's typically those first and second generation immigrants or temporary guest workers that are, uh, that are really interested in doing this work. Yeah, people working hard to, to move to another, another way of life, right? They're moving, they're, they're really, yeah. So, John, how about your family and, and what's going on in your community? How, how are people reacting to coronavirus? What have you seen change in the last week that you didn't expect? So, as an employer, I, I farm these crops ready to harvest in the field. And uh, my shipper partners bring their crews to harvest and cartonize that product and move it into the marketplace. 
we have about 40 to 50 employees that work with me to grow these crops ready to harvest. Uh, we've implemented uh, some of the advice uh, and recommendations that were passed along by CDC. Uh, some great advice, about a four-page uh, little worksheet, if you will, that we uh, that we translated into Spanish and put out to our workers last Friday. Uh, we're trying to keep distances of six feet. We're trying to make sure that employees uh, that work directly for me aren't moving from one piece of equipment to another, that we keep that person in that piece of equipment. Uh, if we have to swap somebody around, we're going to clean that piece of equipment around and try to keep distances. One of the blessings of agriculture is we do some of our best work out here amongst the sunshine and the fields and the, the green and, and other colored crops that we're growing. So as you know, I mean, ag, we're all at our best out here doing this. And those times when we have to work closely, we're also implementing precautions. But as I've expressed to all of my employees, it's key that we keep those distances and that they be cognizant at home. Our biggest concern, uh, most of my workforce is not in the highly impacted age range. And most folks that work in agriculture don't have a lot of those uh, pre-existing medical conditions that may uh, cause them issues. Although there are a few diabetics and, and folks like that, or a few folks with asthma and things that, that it might be a complication. So we're cognizant, cognizant of that and uh, trying to work on that and adjust our workspace to be safe. Uh, some of the harvest operations though, it's much more difficult. Um, we just, you know, folks come to come to work on a crew bus, and so I do have uh, concerns about that long term and how we'll be able to modify those working conditions with these harvest crews to make sure that they can stay as safe as possible, keep food uh, being harvested and moved to consumers. So there's a lot of issues at Play Vance. We're kind of we're worried about a lot of things. We're working on things every day and improving, trying to react to this. Uh, hopefully, we can beat the virus, uh, as folks have been talking about and keep the curve flat and not have it impact folks. But I've been ex explicit to my employees. I'm worried about their grandparents that they have at home uh, that they interact with daily. I'm worried about you know, them maybe picking something up at work from a colleague and taking it home or uh, in their trips to the supermarket and those, those elderly uh, family members. Uh, I'm most worried about those. And, uh, and so we're, you know, we're trying to, trying to accurately inform folks uh, so that they can make the right decisions day in, day out, and here at the workplace. So, John, my favorite question to ask people, because it's so fascinating how people respond to it, is what do you think the world's going to look like in two weeks? Uh, two weeks, I think it'll look a lot the same it does today. Hopefully a few more of those folks that are out there reveling a little bit uh, get the message and uh, you know even if they're not thinking of themselves start thinking of their fellow man and woman and maybe change some of their behaviors I don't think a lot will change in two weeks uh, I think there have been a lot of changes already but I think we're all thinking about two three and four months from now what will our what will our world look like um, maybe the days of the salad bar aren't that common anymore uh, it's not so much the food that's an issue. Uh, lots of experts in that field have said, don't worry about your food. Uh, you're not gonna get, um, you know, virus is not gonna be on here and then go to your dinner table and be an issue. So folks don't really need to worry about that. But it's more, you know, the tongs you might handle at a salad bar, things like that. How you get your food touching common surfaces, how that might impact people over the next several months. So that's really where my, my wow. concerns are. Wow, I would are. never have thought of that. Adapt. Yeah. So yeah, I- John, if uh, if people wanted to follow you on uh, social media, hear what you're talking about, how would they do that? 
I'm, I'm mostly active on Twitter, but uh, you can find me on Facebook. My name is John, J-O-H-N, Boltz, B-O-E-L-T-S. And that's my handle on Twitter is John Boltz, just my first and last name. And uh, you know, try to stay up on current events and try to share a lot of stuff that people might be interested as it relates to agriculture, food production, uh, labor workforce and agriculture, and anything else that, uh, you know, impacts us as Americans and certainly here in the Southwest. Is there anything people can do to help you with the, the visa challenges and the concerns you have? You know, I think it's just being cognizant that uh, that maybe people's perception of what, what agriculture needs for a workforce may not be spot on. Um, listen to those of us that are in the trenches. Uh, we've kind of been through the history of it for decades. Uh, we want to continue to put uh, healthy, scrumptious food on people's plates day in, day out. Uh, we need the workers to do that. So, uh, yeah, check out my Twitter feed. There's a lot of info there. Reach out to me directly with any questions. I'm normally pretty Johnny on the spot about answering questions. Uh, heck, Vance, you and I just talked about setting this up yesterday. So, you know, just try to keep up with folks. And uh, it's certainly my pleasure to get a chat with you and your listeners today, Vance. Thank you so much, John. Keep your workers safe and your family safe. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, check back in with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You too, Vance. Keep the podcast going. We appreciate it. I will. All right. John Voltz, everybody. Thank you.